you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. Hi, this is Larry Mantle, host of Air Talk on KPCC. Since the start of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had a daily segment on Air Talk devoted to the latest information about COVID-19. As time's gone on, we've looked at vaccines and how the virus and pandemic have affected the lives of Southern Californians. That includes doctors, nurses, epidemiologists, and other medical professionals fighting the virus on the front lines. In each episode of this podcast, we'll speak with one of our experts on the rotating panel of AirTalk guests who will be sharing their expertise with us daily. You can also listen anytime at las.com kpcc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. We're so pleased to join us for our COVID-19 update segment today from UC Davis Children's Hospital, Professor of Medicine and Chief of Pediatric Infectious Diseases, Dr. Dean Blumberg. Dr. Blumberg, very good Thursday to you. Good morning to you, too. So let's start with Pfizer saying that it's found its booster in children 5 through 11 raises antibodies against Omicron. It's going to be seeking uh, FDA and, and CDC recommendation for that booster to be given to that age group. Your thoughts about the findings? Yeah, it was an interesting study. They had 140 children and they gave a booster six months later. They found that the antibody increased six times um, versus the original strain, but 36 times against Omicron in a smaller subset of children. And I don't I have to say, I don't really understand that since in general, um, since the vaccine contains the original strain, the spike protein from the original strain, one would expect the opposite result. So I look forward to learning more about that. And uh, is, are the results going to be available for the public to, to look at either simultaneously with FDA or sometime after that? Oh, yeah, I'm certain that they will be available because the FDA makes those um, those data public when they do have the meeting. So at the time of the meeting, they'll have some slides posted on their website. Right now, though, all we have is the Pfizer press release. All right. And where are we at overall in COVID-19? Obviously, hospitalizations have stayed way low for the past several weeks, but we have seen the BA2 subvariant of Omicron become uh, dominant here in California. Um, Do you have any concerns about, you know, with spring breaks and and with Easter and Passover gatherings coming up this weekend that we could see um, some kind of a spike? Yeah, I certainly do expect there to be an increase in the number of cases, but I don't think that it's going to be a surge or a spike or anything that's really dramatic like we've seen before, for example, with Omicron in January. I think we'll see a, a gradual increase in the number of, uh, of cases. In the U.S., rates are up about 25%. Um, and so that's a relatively modest increase compared to the surges we saw with Delta and, and Omicron. So it sounds like hospitals are, are you can continue to breathe easy about this? Yeah, I think so. What we're seeing is the, the vast majority of cases that we're seeing are outpatient disease. So patients are getting ill, they're not feeling well for a few days, 
um, but they're not ending up in the hospital. It's not causing severe disease. And I think this is due to a relatively large proportion of population immunity so that people have at least partial immunity so that when they do get infected, it's milder than if they were, if their immune systems were completely naive. What do we know about Omicron XE, which is a recombinant of the uh, original Omicron BA1 and the BA2 subvariant? Yeah, it looks like it's about maybe 10% more, more infectious, more transmissible compared to BA2. But there's been very few, um, very few isolations of it. It's been found in the UK and, and elsewhere. And it, it just really hasn't taken off yet. So it's hard to know whether it's going to be just a flash in the pan or if it's begin, going to be the next wave of variants that are going to cause the majority of infections. And you think we're just going to be seeing these these different sorts of you know permutations of, of COVID-19 um, for the foreseeable future? I think there's always going to be viral evolution. There's always going to be mutations. That's that's a certainty. And the only question is, will there be a mutation and a variant that develops from that that is significantly more transmissible than currently uh, circulating strains that could cause then a large increase in, um, in infections? The state of California is no longer recommending a five-day quarantine for people exposed to COVID-19, but who remain asymptomatic. Um, This would help employers, of course, because they wouldn't lose an employee who's been exposed uh, for that five-day quarantine period of time. Um, And exposure is defined as someone who spent uh, 15 minutes or longer within close physical proximity of someone who has COVID-19. Your thoughts about the state easing that quarantine period? Yeah, it makes sense to me. I mean, that that was already in place for healthcare workers who were exposed and were and were asymptomatic that they could continue to work as long as they symptom monitor. And of course, the healthcare workers are, are basking in the healthcare environment, so that provides an extra level of protection. But it just makes sense, um, especially you know, to to get back to normal basically um, with so much partial immunity in in the population. All right. If you have questions for Dr. Dean Blumberg, UC Davis Children's Hospital, we're at 866-893-KPECC or email us at atcomments at kpecc.org. Please include your location and your first name. And just a reminder, please don't be uh, too specific um, about medical conditions uh, or questions that would just affect you and and wouldn't have uh, a broader um, uh, relevance to people. So uh, sometimes it's it's so specific a listener question that it's really not uh, appropriate for Dr. Blumberg or our other experts to answer because it's it's something best talked about with your primary care physician. 866-893-KPECC or email us at atcomments at kpecc.org. Yesterday, the Centers for Disease Control extended its mask mandate on planes and trains and other forms of public transportation until May 3rd. Does that make sense to you, Dr. Blumberg? 
Yeah, it, it's, it, I guess it makes sense. It's difficult to know. I wouldn't have minded if they had um, stopped that mandate because I think we have the tools in place. People have the tools in place to protect themselves by making sure that they're fully vaccinated and wearing a mask. And anybody who's risk averse can wear an N95 mask and do a really good job of protecting themselves. You know, there, there is this uptick in the number of cases in the US that's occurring now due to the BA2 variant. So I think they just wanted to make sure um, provide a little wiggle room to make sure that there wasn't an increase in hospitalizations. Um, I don't think there's going to be an increase in hospitalizations, but one of the things that we know is very difficult to do is if they rescinded the mask, mask mandate and then they wanted to reinstitute that, I think that would be very challenging. Fascinating, um, you know, going into indoor spaces and seeing the mix of people who are still masking and, and people who aren't. And that includes employees. It's interesting to see, you know, employees, and you'll see half the people working at the supermarket, let's say, who are wearing masks and the other half not. And um, it doesn't necessarily correspond to what you would think the risk would be. And of course, you know, for, for many comorbidities or for immune uh, compromising conditions, that wouldn't be visible in the appearance of the person, of course. But uh, it's still interesting. You see sometimes young, very healthy looking people wearing a mask. Someone who's older, it looks like they might you know, have some health challenges, not. And I, I just I find it kind of fascinating as, as an aspect of human nature, Dr. Blumberg. Yeah, I've, I've noticed that, too. It is interesting, and especially people who have really public-facing roles like cashiers who are seeing a lot of people. They're coming into a lot of contact with people every day, and then it, it surprises me that, that they're not wearing a mask, that they feel comfortable doing that. And on the other hand, yesterday I was with somebody and I wasn't wearing a mask, and we were both fully vaccinated. She was wearing a mask, and and I was sort of taken aback, and so I, I said, do you know, is everything okay? Would you like me to wear a mask yeah. to make you more comfortable? And she said, no, no, she was okay. She had a tickle in her throat a few days ago, and she was just being extra careful not to transmit to others. So there's a, a lot of different things that people are taking into account. Yeah. And that's such an interesting point that it can be, you know, any one of, of many, many different causes why a person would wear a mask, not just their particular vulnerability. And that that's good to remember. Uh, we have a, a question from Jennifer in West Hollywood. She says, I don't understand what benefit rapid tests give. Experts and the information in the package say they're most accurate at confirming a symptomatic infection and not very good at detecting an asymptomatic one. Can you explain if they are or are not of value to protect others? I, I think they do have a lot of value. They're not as accurate in detecting the asymptomatic infection as the PCR tests are, as the lab-based tests are. But the rapid antigen tests are still useful. They're useful. And if they're positive in general, that's a true positive. You can believe that result. Um, since they're rapid, there's and, and you can do them at home, there's that convenience factor, especially if you know you just want to make sure, let's say you're visiting your um, elderly mother-in-law or something, you just want to make sure that you're not infected, you could do, do one of those rapid tests and give yourself some peace of mind. Um, and I think also they're very useful in terms of detecting asymptomatic infection if they're done um, more frequently. So that's what um, was done earlier in the pandemic in the entertainment industry. 
um, as well as many um, sports organizations, they were doing basically daily rapid tests. And if you do more than one, there's really increased chance of picking it up. Sarah, in the Beverly Grove neighborhood, you're on AirTalk. Thank you. Hi, Larry and Dr. Bloomberg. I um, have been a hardcore follow guidelines person, especially having been stuck in New York when it first hit for six months. So, you know, to this day, I still wear an N95 at Trader Joe's. I'm, I've been boosted. I boosted the minute that was available. Same with the vaccine. But I find myself ambivalent as we approach this um, fourth booster. I find myself hearing the voice of my anti-vax cousin, who I almost disowned, who said, this isn't a vaccine. And I'm like, it kind of isn't because it's not just the variants, like with the flu, it's also the immune system, the, the effectiveness seems to be waning. Are we going to the, for the rest of our lives be, you know, beholden to Pfizer, which, you know, from my research, isn't the best company in the world with this ongoing, like maybe this wasn't the answer. And I, I, I sort of stand at the precipice of the fourth booster, not sure where I stand anymore. And I was like as hardcore as you get. Yeah. My Sarah, I think you're not not alone, uh, and I really appreciate your call, Dr. Blumberg. Yeah, Sarah, I'm I'm with you on this in terms of the ambivalence. I, I don't think we can expect everybody to get boosted every three or five months. That's that's just not feasible. Um, we're going to get vaccine fatigue, but more importantly, um, with each booster that you get, there's a chance of immune tolerance, meaning that there's that for each subsequent dose that the immune response isn't as good. So you really want to get those boosters at the right time um, so that you do get the most benefit out of them. So, so I haven't gotten my, my fourth dose either. I'm hoping that we'll have a relatively quiet summer. Um, that this will eventually evolve into a seasonal pattern of transmission. So it'll be a fall and winter respiratory virus, similar to influenza. And that the three doses will be considered a primary series. And then the boosters might be every year in the fall, similar to what we do for influenza. Now that's for, for most people who are, who are healthy and don't have um, comorbidities. But for those who do have comorbidities, for those who are immunocompromised, you know, getting that booster now would be a different, different story, and I would recommend that. Sarah, thanks so much for your call. Dr. Blumberg, always a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you so much for being with us today on Air Talk. Great. Have a great rest of your week, Larry. Thanks for listening to this episode of COVID in L.A. If you'd like to stay up to date with the latest coronavirus news, you can listen anytime at las.com, at kpcc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. See you next time and stay safe. I'm Larry Mantle. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people.